There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. To hear ad-free versions of our episodes published several days before their general release, subscribe to They Walk Among Us Plus. Head to patreon.com forward slash They Walk Among Us or search for They Walk Among Us on Apple Podcasts to learn more. The railway tap on Bishopsbridge Road in West London was often the scene of drunken fights in the late 1970s and early 80s. Despite his reputation, it was one of the most popular pubs in the Bayswater area. When a barman failed to turn up to work, the pub landlord had an inkling that something didn't seem right. 41-year-old Anthony Bird, known as Tony, had been renting in West London for a number of years and working at the railway tap for almost the same length of time. His one-bedroom home was located in the Bentley Court block of flats in Kensington Square Garden. The six-storey building overlooked Kensington Square, a centuries-old communal garden and a rare patch of greenery in the busy city. It wasn't like Tony Bird not to show up for work, especially on a busy Friday evening. After visiting Tony's home, the pub landlord raised the alarm. Officers from the Metropolitan Police arrived at the flat on June 6, 1980. What's happened? Murder. Murder? Yeah. Who murdered someone? Me. You murdered someone? Yeah. Did you? Welcome to Season 8, Episode 30 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. 
officers knocked on Tony Bird's front door, and just like Tony's boss, they received no response. They were concerned enough to force their way in using a sledgehammer. The commotion didn't elicit a response from anyone inside the home. Tony either wasn't there, or something was seriously wrong. When the officers finally got inside the flat, they entered the darkened living room. The curtains were drawn and the room was in disarray. Drawers had been emptied and Tony's belongings were scattered everywhere. It appeared as though someone had ransacked the property. The dusty outlines of several items were visible on the living room cabinet. It was obvious before they were taken, the belongings had sat undisturbed for a considerable period of time. When the officers entered Tony's bedroom, they found something far more concerning than a potential robbery. Tony's naked body lay on the bed. He had been dead for several days. There were clear indicators that his cause of death was not natural. Tony was on his side with his legs crossed and his knees bent towards his chest. His left ankle and wrist were tied tightly with black electrical cable, and a red indentation on his right wrist suggested that at one point it had also been bound. There was evidence that he had been beaten as there were bruises on his head, chest and legs. Two lengths of wood found nearby were suspected to have been used to cause the injuries. The flat was cordoned off as Scotland Yard detectives were brought in to assist in the investigation. Tony's mother Pauline and brother Richard were informed of his death. Tony Bird's body was removed from the flat and brought to a local hospital for a post-mortem. The examination was conducted by Dr. Rufus Crompton, who became globally renowned after his work as the pathologist on the Georgi Markov case. The Bulgarian journalist had been assassinated with a pellet containing ricin, a poison that had been shot from an air-powered umbrella gun. Dr. Crompton identified that Tony Bird had sustained blunt force trauma to his head, face, genitals and legs. The doctor believed the injuries were consistent with being struck with items resembling the planks of wood found at the scene. However, Tony had not been beaten to death. He had been strangled. It was theorised that Tony could have been killed by a man he met when he was out with friends on June 3rd, three days before his body was discovered. Some fingerprints recovered from the scene did not match Tony's, although frustratingly a match was not found in police files. The murder inquiry was led by Detective Superintendent John Bates, spoke with a reporter for the Sunday Mirror. The detective confirmed that Tony was a gay man and some of his belongings had likely been stolen. It was established that a hi-fi system and a collection of miniature spirit bottles were missing. 
It seems surprising that the person responsible would commit murder for so few possessions. Several of Tony's neighbours also spoke to the press, although none wanted to be named. One said, Mr. Bird was normally a quiet sort and well-liked. He didn't seem to have a regular friend, but brought back different fellows to his flat. The men in Tony's company seemed to be a point of contention for some of the residents in Bentley Court. Another neighbour stated, I was thinking of complaining to the landlord about the strange characters he kept bringing back to the flat. Confirming that there was a disturbance before Tony's death, one resident of Bentley Court said, We heard a row coming from his flat. There was a lot of noise, things being thrown about and broken. When you live in an area like this, you don't take too much notice. Officers visited homes in the area and spoke with members of the gay community, who in the early 80s distrusted the authorities due to the increasing homophobic violence in the city. According to Inspector Roy Ram working from Paddington Green Police Station, witnesses were reluctant to come forward because of Tony's sexuality, which had been highly publicised. Inspector Ram felt that people who knew Tony were too afraid to speak up because they too were gay or didn't want anyone to know that they were associated with someone who was. Inspector Ram told the Mercury, People who spoke to him in the days before his death have not come forward. We want them to know we would treat them with all the consideration we always show witnesses. Mr. Bird was well known in the area where he had lived for some years and in the railway tap on Bishopsbridge Road where he worked as a barman. But we don't feel we have exhausted the reservoir of information about him there must be in this area. Tony worked part-time at Porchester Hall, the location of London's oldest Turkish baths built in 1929. After work, he was seen with two young men who were described by investigators as being effeminate. The first man was said to be aged between 20 and 22, standing 5 feet 10 inches to 6 feet tall, with spiked black hair and dressed in dark clothing. The appearance of the second man was more distinctive. He was shorter and appeared to be younger. His bright yellow hair had been streaked with orange dye and styled into pointed spikes. Investigators released a photo fit of the men and appealed to anyone to come forward who was in the Queensway area on the night Tony Bird was last seen alive. The police also asked to speak with hairdressers who recognised the men's hairstyle. Inspector Ram stated... It's impossible to say whether these men are locals or not, and our investigation is very widespread. But Mr. Bird probably met them locally and possibly sometime before the killing, so perhaps some of his friends might have met them as well. We feel we are fairly close to these two. We know what they look like, and we know certain other things about them. Someone somewhere can tell us their names and where they live. 
The information had come to the attention of investigators through a mobile police headquarters set up outside Whiteley's shopping centre in Queensway. Inspector Ram commented, This crime will not be solved by some sort of cataclysmic event. It is a matter of building up little pieces of a jigsaw, so people who know something mustn't think it's too trivial to bother us with. Tell us and let us judge. It may be of vital importance to us. In early August, Detective Superintendent Bates appeared on Police 5, a television series similar to Crime Watch, which aired short five-minute appeals and reconstructions of unsolved crimes. Following the appeal, an anonymous caller claimed to have information about the murder. The man agreed to meet with Detective Superintendent Bates to provide more details, but then cut off contact. The strained relations between the gay community and the police came under public scrutiny later that month, when Detective Superintendent Bates told the press that a group of so-called homosexual vigilantes had more or less threatened to kill whoever was responsible for Tony Bird's death. The lead detective said that the anonymous callers had contacted the authorities on August 28th and said they had no confidence in the investigation and would serve justice themselves. The detective also claimed that the group had identified the killer and he was anxious to hear from them as soon as possible. He was taking their threat seriously. Detective Superintendent Bates said... I am appalled to think a group of people who feel vulnerable should threaten to take the law into their own hands. The last thing I want to do is charge someone with the murder of a murderer. One month after Tony Bird was killed, a similar crime occurred just under 25 miles away in Brentwood, Essex. A young couple, 26-year-old catering manager Stephen Burrows, and his wife Hilary, a 25-year-old secretary, had appeared on a London weekend television series about love and marriage in 1977, and three years later they were just as in love. During the evening of Thursday, July 17, 1980, Hilary had been at a jewellery party with some colleagues. She didn't see anything she wanted to buy, so Hillary left at around 10pm and headed home. That weekend, one of their neighbours noticed that Stephen and Hillary Burroughs' lights had been left on for two days straight and was concerned because she hadn't seen Stephen or Hillary leave the house. The police were called and officers arrived at the semi-detached home on Milton Road. The couple were found on the ground floor of the property. Stephen and Hilary Burroughs were both naked. They were bound to the wrists. A trail of blood led up to the bedroom, where it was likely the attack had begun. Detectives on the case consulted with investigators from Scotland Yard, who were also working on the inquiry into Tony Burt's murder. They noticed a number of similarities. The victim's clothing had been removed. 
they had been tied up before their bonds were cut loose. And there was evidence that the killer had also attempted to strangle Stephen Burroughs using a pair of tights. When this was unsuccessful, the killer stabbed him to death. Hillary had succumbed to knife wounds. She had been stabbed a total of 15 times. Some of the couple's belongings had been taken from the home. Stephen's wallet was missing, along with Hillary's engagement ring and a gold watch. The crime was similar to the circumstances surrounding Tony Bird's death, although the victim profiles were completely different. The photo fit of the yellow and orange-haired man was again released, as detectives considered that Tony Bird and the Burroughs had been killed by the same man. Police also postulated that it could have been a break-in gone wrong. Stephen Burroughs' father, Alan, said, Stephen was the sort of person who would have gone to investigate and try to do something if there had been an intruder in his home. He had a young wife to protect, and he would do that. A few weeks after the Burroughs were killed, it was announced that Hillary had been 13 weeks pregnant when she was murdered. This prompted a 34-year-old man named Russell John Hart to walk into Chelmsford Police Station and confess to killing the couple. The police had already been looking for Hart after being tipped off by someone who saw him in a local pub trying to sell jewellery on the night the Burroughs were believed to have been killed. Hart explained that learning Hillary had been pregnant meant that he had killed three people and felt he deserved to go away forever. A lip print was found on the couple's bedroom door indicating he had been watching them sleep before he attacked. Russell John Hart, who had only been released from prison five months before the murders, pleaded guilty to manslaughter by reason of diminished responsibility. Prosecutor Raymond Sears QC said at the trial, the full horror of what went on in that house for some unknown period to that quiet and loving couple will probably never be known. It died with them and is now locked up in the defendant's twisted mind. A psychiatrist told the court that Hart had been diagnosed with a personality disorder as well as schizophrenia. Russell John Hart's plea was accepted and he was sent to Rampton Hospital for psychiatric treatment. Rampton is a high-security facility in Nottinghamshire that was opened in 1912 to take in patients destined for Broadmoor. In the century that followed, Rampton has housed some of the most violent and notorious convicts in British history, including Charles Bronson and Beverly Allett. The scene where Hillary and Stephen Burroughs were found was so jarring that it still haunted Detective Lionel Lee after three and a half decades. In 2015, Lee told a reporter for the Brentwood Gazette, We never talked about it because we didn't want to upset the parents over what had actually taken place. 
even though it is 35 years on. It is a difficult one. It's not that I don't want to talk about it. It's just that it is hard to say because it was so horrific. He got them out of bed and took them downstairs and laid them on the floor downstairs and started drinking their drink, and one thing led to another. It's not something that has been released. It was too nasty. Even I was taken aback, even though I had been to several murders. Russell John Hart was cleared of any involvement in the death of Tony Bird, but it didn't take long for another suspect to emerge. On September 26, 1980, a 27-year-old man named Gareth Holtam was brought to Brixton Police Station in connection with an unrelated murder. While in custody... Altum confessed that he had attacked someone a month earlier. On August 3rd, Altum had met another man known as Mr. Green at a nightclub. He agreed to go back to Green's flat to have sex. Altum wanted to tie the man up, and although Green was not into bondage, he reluctantly agreed. At some point, things took a dark turn when Holtam tried to strangle Green with his hands and then a piece of washing line. During the attack, Green lost consciousness, and when he came to, he could hear Gareth Holtam on the phone saying he had tried to kill someone. When Holtam realised Green had come around again, he grabbed a bread knife from the kitchen and threatened to kill him. He demanded money, which Green did not have, So Holtam took some electronics including an alarm clock and cassette radio before he fled. The circumstances of the violent attack mirrored Tony Bird's murder two months earlier and eventually the detectives investigating Tony's case began to suspect that Gareth Holtam had been responsible. The manuals and receipt for the stolen hi-fi system had been kept so the police had a serial number to compare to any similar pieces of stereo equipment they found. Inquiries revealed that Holtam, who lived on Francis Street just a few miles from Tony's flat, had been seen leaving with a number of large boxes in a blue car. The police learned that Holtam had told an acquaintance he was going to Wales. His parents, William and Sarah, lived in the village of Abertry Door. Officers from the Metropolitan Police, led by Detective Chief Inspector Derek Croft, travelled to the small village and spoke with neighbours of the Holtams. Mr and Mrs Johns reported seeing Gareth Holtam outside his parents' home in a blue Volkswagen Beetle. Mrs Johns said... Gareth was behind the car unloading it with another man. I saw one of them carry what seemed to be a stereo turntable and speakers into Gareth's parents' home. Mr Johns added, I saw them both lift out of the car a box each and carry them indoors. Each box contained what I thought to be speakers, but there were obviously other things inside them which I couldn't see. 
The police believed that it was plausible Gareth Holtam had killed Tony Bird in an attack similar to the one he had admitted to inflicting on Mr Green. They also suspected that he had moved the equipment he had stolen from Tony's flat in London to his parents in Wales. Armed with a search warrant, officers from the Metropolitan Police went to Sarah and William Holtam's home and began looking through the property for the stolen goods. Sarah told the investigators that she had been expecting them because she had received a telephone call from a solicitor who said they had been speaking to their son about a murder. Nothing relevant was found, but Sarah and William were arrested and brought to London for questioning. They were held for four days and asked if they had any knowledge of stolen stereo equipment. They insisted that they knew nothing about any stolen goods, and furthermore they had neither seen their son in quite some time, nor had he visited them at the time their neighbours claimed. The Holtams were eventually released without charge, and no additional evidence linking their son to Tony Bird's murder could be found. In December 1980, Gareth Holton pleaded guilty to assault occasioning actual bodily harm at Middlesex Crown Court, relating to the crime against Mr Green and robbery of his electronics. Holton was sentenced to two concurrent three-year sentences, reduced to three years of probation on appeal. Six years later, Sarah and William Holtam sued the Metropolitan Police for wrongful detention. During the court proceedings, Sarah Holtam told Mr Justice Payne, I know I hadn't done anything wrong. The police called me a liar. What we went through at Abertree Door for a long time afterwards was very sad. It was terrible for us as a family. We lost quite a lot of friends and we were being kept awake until four, five or six in the morning with terrible phone calls. The Holtams were subsequently awarded £8,000 in compensation. That same year, Tony Bird's mother Pauline passed away, never knowing who killed her son. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Forty-one years ticked by with no further progress on the case. The Metropolitan Police said it was being reviewed periodically. The crime remained unsolved until the, quote, cataclysmic event which Inspector Roy Ram said would never happen occurred. At 9.38am on May 5th, 2021, a dishevelled-looking man approached the reception at Hammersmith Police Station. He told the officer at the desk he wanted to report a crime. The exchange was captured on CCTV. The man, identified as 59-year-old John Matthew Paul, was wearing a thick black coat. As he leaned on the white wooden ledge, he spoke to the officer on the other side of the window. What's happened? Murder. Murder? Yeah. Who murdered someone? Me. You murdered someone? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. When did this happen? 1980, when I just left Moscow. And you just left Bullstall? Yeah. Okay, who did you murder? A man, a man, you know white lady in Queensway? White lady in Queensway? Yeah. At first, the officer seemed unsure, but after John Paul began sharing more details, she began writing hastily in a notepad on her desk. Paul was brought into an interview room to be questioned, and he eventually explained how he had met the victim. Paul said, He approached me and just spoke to me and just talked me into having sex with him. He took me back to his place. I tied him with cord. I think the cord was black. I'm not sure. I tied him with a cord, 
his ankles, his hands, his arms, on the bed naked. There was a piece of wood. I used a piece of wood to batter him, knocked him unconscious. With that information, officers look through the records of unsolved murders with similar circumstances, and by 11.30am, they had made the connection to Tony Bird's killing over four decades earlier. Investigators were able to recover some pieces of forensic evidence obtained at the crime scene back in 1980, including fingerprints. The prints positively matched John Paul, and he was arrested on suspicion of murder just after 3.30pm the same day he made the confession. As he was being cautioned about the murder which occurred in Kensington Square Garden, Paul asked, Is that near Whiteless? John Paul was released under investigation, but detained under the Mental Health Act and admitted to Hillingdon Hospital. Metropolitan Police Specialist Crime Command detectives appealed for Tony Bird's relatives or anyone with information about the case to contact them. On May 27, 2021, just over four weeks later, the suspect was charged with murder and remanded into custody. John Paul, who had spent his 60th birthday behind bars, appeared at the Old Bailey via video link a week later. He spoke only to confirm his name and date of birth before being placed on remand again until the trial. Legal proceedings commenced at the Old Bailey on Monday, October 10th, 2022. The jury were presented with alternate charges of murder and manslaughter, both of which John Paul denied. Opening for the Crown John Price KC told the jury, Mr. Bird lived in that flat alone. He was a homosexual man and it was known amongst his friends that he would frequently pick up men in the street and pay them for sex. His next-door neighbour, whom the police took a statement back during the first investigation, spoke of frequent male visitors to his flat. The court heard that on the night of June 3rd, 1980, Tony Bird was out in Queensway and he told his friends that he, quote, had his eye on a black lad. The last they saw of Tony was when he left to go over to the man who had caught his attention. Three days later, when Tony didn't turn up for work, his boss called the police after failing to get a response at his flat. John Price Casey explained that the pathologist Dr Rufus Crompton believed Tony had been strangled and there were other blunt force trauma injuries noted to his body. The prosecutor then told the court about John Paul's sudden confession 41 years after the murder, and how Paul's fingerprints matched those found at the scene. According to the doctors treating him, Paul said that on the night of June 3rd, 1980, He had been propositioned by a man while he was out looking for something to steal. 
John Price KC said, The main issue in the case will be whether when he killed Tony Bird, as it is submitted, he undoubtedly did. John Paul intended to kill Mr. Bird or at least cause him really serious harm. Defence barrister Tana Adkin Casey revealed that her client had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Adkin argued that John Paul's confession was not reliable, and even if Paul had killed Tony Bird, there was no proof that he had intended to do so. After all the evidence was presented, the jury was sent out to deliberate on October 24, 2022. After just a few hours, they returned with a verdict. John Paul was found guilty of murder after ending the life of Tony Bird over 42 years earlier. Following the conviction, lead investigator Detective Chief Inspector Rebecca Reeves from the Metropolitan Police's Central Specialist Crime Command released a statement in which she said it was highly unusual that someone would walk into a police station and confess to a murder committed so long ago. I would like to praise the officers and staff at Hammersmith Police Station who dealt with Paul in such a calm and effective manner. This was a man evidently suffering with a mental illness, and they listened to what he had to say, asking the right questions to establish the truth and inevitably leading to his conviction. We may never fully know the reasons why on that day in May 2021, Paul confessed to the murder. However, the results of this case coming years after his death has finally brought answers to Anthony Bird's family. We know it's unlikely that police will solve every non-recent case. However, they remain under review and given the advances in technology, officers work on these cases tirelessly in hope of bringing offenders to justice. So where are we now? John Paul was brought back to the Old Bailey on November 4th, 2022 to be sentenced. Paul's barrister told the court that he was remorseful and displayed it as much as he could, considering he had a serious mental illness. A victim impact statement was delivered by Tony Bird's closest living relative, his sister-in-law, Gillian. Gillian said, I was married to Tony's brother Richard for 63 years, who sadly passed away in November 2021. Myself and my family remember hearing about the murder very vividly. I recall the family being at the local village fair when a tannoy came out for Richard. Two policemen arrived to tell us he had been murdered but they didn't know who had been responsible. At the time, we were shocked and traumatised by the circumstances of his death. We were never told any information about how he had been murdered. 
Tony's mum Pauline was so shocked and upset at not being able to bury him for six months. It was awful for her having to wait six months to lay him to rest. We never got any reason for this at the time. Pauline died six years later. She was always a fighter, and we have no doubt her death was hastened by the fact Tony had been murdered. They had always been in frequent contact. Tony was a remote relative living alone in London, but it was still difficult to know his life had ended in that way, and made worse by the fact we never had any answer to what really happened to him. Now, 42 years on, we can have some peace of mind knowing the perpetrator has been found guilty and convicted of this heinous crime. Having seen Mr. Paul in the dock of the court, we would like to say we feel no hatred for him and feel sorry for him, having some sympathy for his current circumstances. Addressing the defendant, presiding judge Mrs. Justice Chima Grupp told him, Mr. Bird's friends say he was in the habit of having sex with strangers he met on the street. He met you, a 19-year-old walking around the street having recently left a borstal. I'm sure that you intended to steal from him. You were aware that he was after sex, but you had no intention of engaging. He undressed, and you used a flex to tie him up at his request. He was now defenceless and vulnerable. In order to ensure he didn't cry out for help, you hit him over the head until he was unconscious. His death would have been caused by rendering him unconscious while in that position with his knees up and his airways compromised. Mr. Bird approached you looking for an intimate connection you decided it was something you could use and exploit. I take into account the enormous burden that mental illness has been to you for at least the past 20 years and will continue to affect your life and the manner in which you endure the sentence. Before arriving at a minimum term, Mrs. Justice Chima Grubb also had to consider the sentence that would have been imposed if the defendant had been convicted decades earlier. John Paul faced an automatic life sentence for murder and was told he would have to spend a minimum of 19 years behind bars. Paul will be in his late 70s when he is eligible to apply for parole. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.